1: I think there's a lot of consequences that come along with this. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't want to have this conversation that you know they're scared they might lose their job or they might not get the endorsements. They not, might not be treated the same way. And those are things I'm prepared to handle. And those are things that, you know, other people might not be ready for. Uh, it's just a matter of where you're at in your life, where, where your mind's at. And at this point. I've been blessed to be able to get this far and, you know, have the privilege of being in the NFL and, you know, making the kind of money I make and enjoy luxuries like that. But I can't look in the mirror and see other people dying on the street that should have the same opportunities that I've had and say, you know what, I can live with myself because I can't if I just watch.
2: Betches Media presents. Donald Trump was a stain on our country. I am someone's daughter. To
1: help me
3: what I'm oh, holy God. Me. Congratulations, Mr. President.
2: The Betches SUP
3: <laughs> Podcast.
2: Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where Twitter meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. I did a little chuckle because I've recorded like 35 podcasts this week and I just can't I can't speak anymore. So I got a little I fumbled, I fumbled Not the ball. At all. No one noticed. Speaking of fumbling the ball, the clip you just heard at the opening was Colin Kaepernick in August of 2016. This is after the first time he knelt during the playing of the national anthem, speaking to reporters. He obviously knelt in protest of police brutality and racial justice. And obviously, four years ago, five years ago almost, was he was pretty pression about how people would react to that. And he now remains unsigned five years later after coming to a settlement with the NFL after, after filing a grievance of some sort. But it's really weird to hear that and exactly what he predicted happened. Yeah, I mean, I
4: I get pretty mad about like Colin Kaepernick because... I don't know, the NFL is just so conservative and annoying in that way. And it just seems obvious to me, like, he made himself into, like, a Muhammad Ali, Jackie Robinson-type figure, like, instantaneously. And the fact that the owners and the the teams basically don't recognize that is so stupid and frustrating.
3: Yeah, I feel like – I mean, I think he did – you know, because people are like, oh, he's just doing this for fame. Like, I definitely feel like he did make a calculated risk. And like, even to be honest, like, the longevity of football players in general isn't that long either. And, you know, people will say like, oh, he just wanted attention or he's not. But like, I've been, you know, if you really follow Colin Kaepernick, it, it wasn't just the kneeling. Like he really started a really interesting nonprofit with an interesting model where he would rate like every month, donate to a different nonprofit, like, and support a different one and highlight a different one that does like completely different issues. Um, So that, that, that was something that it was respectable. It was like, it's not like he tried to start it. He started his own foundation, but the foundation's like celebrating and and promoting these other people that have already been doing the work so he's somebody that's really interesting in that like yes he did this like thing and probably like calculated for the longevity of his career and his success whatever but also like he's somebody who amplifies people who've already been doing the work which is something that's Mm -hmm. criticized a lot it's something that's interesting because like he became this this figure and he's so controversial and stuff but so controversial to so many people like I just remember there was a Teen Mom 2 reunion where he came up because his girlfriend is like a host of an MTV thing and Janelle like made some inflammatory comments and then they were talking about Black Lives Matter on Teen Mom 2 (laughs) reunion so it's just like wow like I'm just like It's going to be so iconic 30, 40 years from now of like, it's not just the NFL, but it's permeated all through pop culture. So in that way, it's really cool. Um,
4: No, I I definitely was not meaning to suggest that he did it like for the fame, but I think he did. He what he did was like so necessary. And honestly, like he's going to have so much more of an impact than like any other person on his team. Like I didn't know who he was because I don't like follow football, but then now I'm like, okay, who's my preferred football player. Like it's him and he's not even football. I guess you could say he kind of is, I don't know at this point.
2: Yeah. I um, I had our sup intern yesterday. She prepped this like super cool Instagram story for the weekend about the history of black NFL players and just iconic moments. And like she and I both went to Barnard, a very like liberal arts women's college in the city. And both at the end yesterday, we were like, is football amazing? (laughs) Do we love football? I don't think so. But we obviously played that clip for the Super Bowl um which are you guys gonna watch
4: I mean it'll be on in my house like
3: yeah I'll yeah did you, did you guys see that viral video that went around which um by Michael Benjamin who's like he's gay and he lives in LA and he 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 basically facetimes like 10 of his friends and he's like who's playing against who's playing the football Oh, right football right I didn't weekend? click on that yet but and I saw like, it it's like ten people. Like what? I don't know. Yeah, like, it's a weird it's year. So it's a weird funny. year I for the don't Super Bowl for
4: sure. Now that you're, I don't know. I just said. know that Tom Brady is in it because, like, that is a fact that I know. But I don't know what team oh, he's really? even
2: on. I think he's interesting. I think we're gonna get some messages about this. I'll, I'll, I'll be talking to you guys. They're gonna the be end. like, you guys, <laughs> think we'll get some you, some like, you guys
4: are so out of touch. Such liberals. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. Oh <God. laughs> No flakes. Don't care about football, America's greatest pastime. Yeah, of course. Snowflakes wouldn't care about football. What we do care about is uh, Jared and Ivanka Trump. Yeah, yes. there is some Dravanka news that we had to address today. Even though they are not uh, federal employees anymore, they're still amusing us in some ways. So the government watchdog Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, they have been looking at Jared and Ivanka's financial disclosures throughout the term, and they found that the couple earned as much as $120 million in outside income in 2020, a year where, like an unprecedented number of people, filed for unemployment. Bad year. But believe it or not, um, this was just this is especially bad year for them. The pandemic hit them, too. Uh, Ivanka earned about a million and a half from hotel revenue last year. But that was down from four million the year before. And her, the value of her stake in the Trumpa Hotel has jumped like crazy. It's dropped from five to twenty five million to one hundred to two hundred fifty thousand. Oh, <laughs> I know. I normally don't like to list numbers at our listeners, but but that one was worth listing out. Yeah, that's different.
3: Wow. Yeah.
4: I feel yeah, like so that's bad a for
2: <laughs> You're living a
4: different life with those numbers.
3: Yeah, no, yeah. for real. But a hundred, like, damn, a hundred million in 2020. Like, are you serious? But also, um, it's been brought to my attention. I don't know if y'all have seen this. Jared and Ivanka's, there's alleged sex playlist. No. What? No. Oh, my. How is yes. it? How? Who, who alleged? Okay. So basically... Somebody find um, it on Spotify? Yes. So basically, this reporter was like... Did this thing where it's like all of Ivanka's playlists... Because she posts playlists. This was from 2017 or 20... Yeah, I think it might be 2017 or 2015. I might forget. But um, Ivanka has playlists. And she posts playlists like getting ready in the right. morning or something. Like all her playlists like have specific um, titles. And then one of them is like the no 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 it's like the day of her anniversary with jared right and then i has, do remember this yes it has five songs it's only 20 minutes long and it's like adele james it's like the most whack like sex playlist ever first of all my That's sex playlist yeah it's like four hours long it's mostly I listen to it on airplanes but uh like like to fall asleep too but I have to have sex on airplanes for four I have had sex in this playlist but I will say yeah like it's insane. I think that I, if we're really
2: dedicated to, if you're really dedicated to the SUP, I think that the next time you have an opportunity, you should try out the Javanka playlist and let us know how it goes. Is it just like rolling in the deep?
4: It's just funny. Cause like they're, 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 they're expecting the foreplay, the sex and like any sort of post, you know, coital cuddling to all go in
3: 20 minutes. Yeah. So yeah, somebody's like, so, so, I got in an argument with my friend because it's like, do you think I know this is so different from like their financial disclosures, but we don't know no, this, this is better. It's do you think, like my friends like they don't cuddle, and I'm like, Ivanka's a big spoon for sure. Ivanka big spoons for sure if they do cuddle? I think she holds Jared like a doll. <laughs> I think so. Sarah, yeah
2: Sarah, this looks like a little doll. But the the interesting thing about these
4: like financial disclosures or really any disclosures of theirs is like how clear it was that they were not interested in governing for like the the sake of the masses, like their intention, like what was always kind of going on in the back of their head was like, okay, how are we going to cash out from this? Like, what are our, what are our positions? Like, like, it was always (laughs) sort of about for them how can we like looking at it as a business essentially? And then also the time when she was just like mingling with the the leaders and they were just like, "Who are you?
3: Yeah, and I guess for me, it's like, wouldn't they have profited anyway? like, did they have to be in government to get to make money? That was that's kind of the thing because like Jared and Ivanka, like, Jared arguably is responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. you know what i mean it's like if you wanted to cash out or make money from your father-in-law being president you could have done that while not being in the way and like not letting people who actually know what the fuck they're doing doing their jobs like Mm -hmm. you know that that's kind of the thing that bothers me it's like fine cash out like whatever you're i'm never going to a trump hotel i'm never you know whatever but what people are crazy Apparently they're empty,
2: which I thought was probably because of the pandemic. When I saw those videos going around, it was like, well, aren't all, no, it's just empty because nobody, go, nobody goes there. Most of the people that were going there were like GOP members.
4: Well, I think what like this sort of all points to is, and this has kind of been revealed with like, call, like all the GameStop drama and also the pandemic, how much people who of who have extreme wealth, how much their wealth is not necessarily correlated to like normal supply and demand. Like it's not about what they're producing and people are buying out of demand. Like it's so many of these business strategies are about like, not, I don't want to say it's tax evasion, but it is avoiding taxes, finding ways (laughs) to avoid taxes, avoid like, I don't know these, it's like a lot of technicalities that are essentially accrue a lot more money to these people than like actually selling goods and services would. Um, I think that's what's been so clear. Actually,
2: working for a living. Right. Like,
4: I think that's what's been so clear in this economy is that it's not necessarily based around, like, what did you provide, but about, like, what, how did you keep your money?
2: Yes. Yes. I watched a really intense, I think I I sent it to you, Sammy. I I put this really intense, like, socialist YouTube video that was literally titled All Profit profit is Theft. theft. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, really intensive, and I loved it.
3: But it was very intense. Just one more thing about the Trump Hotels is that basically there's like two kinds of, really like in all, the Trump family kind of shot themselves in the foot because they would still get like rich people pre-Trump running. And even for a lot of his presidency, there would still just be rich people who enjoyed luxury and like a low profile and all that stuff. But because of all their antics and stuff, Mm -hmm. they've alienated those people. And now if they want to like, have a golf game or stay somewhere they're like i'd rather not like be accused of being you know associated with the trump brand you know and like that has damaged their brand and damaged all their stuff which makes me a little happy but it's just like yeah they've
2: just reached the point of diminishing return for what they're going to get from trump at this point he's not really good for anyone's brand outside of the house gop which is what we're going to spend the rest of the show talking about
5: healthier hair and skin. Yes, but beyond that too.
2: So last night, Wednesday night, was a big night for the House Republicans right house Republicans have demanded a vote to remove Liz Cheney from her leadership position. She's the third, she's the number three ranking Republican in the house. And she's really the only woman in GOP leadership. They said Cheney should pay for betraying Trump with her impeachment vote. She stood up, spoke, didn't apologize. And then members voted by a secret ballot. And she kept her leadership post by a vote of 145 to 61, which was reported as a huge victory for her, a resounding win. Um, what impact do we think the secret ballot had here? Do we think that it had any impact? I'm somewhere between 61
4: people is a lot. Exactly, and the secret ballot could have changed if it were used like this whole administration yes. it could have changed the course of history. So <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, it's like, there's a lot to unpack there with the use of the secret ballot and how many people actually still voted against her, even with it
3: exactly yeah it's like they could have gotten yeah they could have impeached Trump if they had the secret ballot totally. like yeah. it's and then yeah 61 people yeah ah uh, that that like that it's such a conflict with me because I'm just like I don't know I mean are we gonna talk about the QAnon like how Like they want to rebrand the Republican Party as a QAnon. So,
2: I mean, they did this by secret ballot. But today, I think the whole House is going to have to vote on whether or not to remove her from her committee positions. Nancy Pelosi basically gave Kevin McCarthy, who is the GOP health leader, an opportunity to discipline him herself. Apparently himself. Apparently he floated the idea. He was like, "Okay, I'll remove her from one. Would that be good? And Nancy was like, No. That's not so acceptable. Stupid. So, they're going to have a vote today, possibly by the time you've listened to this podcast. And she is under threat of being removed from her committee positions. Democrats run the House, they have the majority, and it sure looks like that's going to happen. And all members, this is a public ballot. So, you know, Republicans who decide it's fine are basically saying that it's fine if a woman who harasses Teenage survivors of school shootings is on a committee that crafts legislation. Last night, we should note Green went on a bit of an not even apology tour. She's had one stop on her apology tour. She, in behind closed doors, said that she was really sorry. She said so, turning to QAnon was a mistake she made at a dark point in her life. When? Like yesterday? She's no. still she's still doing it. And she just apologized for her past statements, walked them back and said, I'm sorry, this is how this has impacted you, and apparently got. A standing ovation after that so we'll look forward to that public vote today but as you were saying this will allow democrats to tie the entire party directly to QAnon.
4: the idea that this was like something she turned to at like <laughs> dark point in her life lol yeah. i don't refuse to buy that but it's also she clearly does not actually have remorse because she did not have any remorse before it became a very possible possible almost foregone conclusion that she's getting a roof from these committees like if you genuinely regretted something like that because you turned to it at a low point in your life you would have apologized like the second it
2: came out right yeah when did she decide she's been spewing this for
3: in recent days i feel like i feel like a few things right like on one end i feel like the the point or like the reason why QAnon's so big is because so many people in dark points of their life do get radicalized by this and think that this is like real and logical and all this stuff but those people are so deep in like there's all this stuff with like they have to be deprogrammed and they really believe this shit so there's that one thing then the second thing is like um yeah she doesn't care like she's not getting any consequences and and it's just like all these things are so fucking like Jewish lasers like are you serious like how can you have a position in government
2: she also said she never said that she no she didn't say that actually she said I don't know what those are so she didn't deny they exist
3: okay
4: she did not say Jewish space laser she said that the Rothschilds were funding space lasers (laughs) that started the California wildfires but like it became translated to Jewish space lasers because Rothschild in vernacular obviously is like an old Jewish anti-semitic trope like clearly yeah
3: yeah. I mean, just like the George Soros bullshit, yeah. which um, Soros, if it's you're cold. listening, I, I was at the BM, BLM protest and I'm still waiting for my check. So <laughs> <laughs> right, because we're all paid protesters. Yeah. Um, But I think another thing which I've seen, I see Democrats and like Nancy Pelosi, I think what they're trying to do now, which I've seen on Twitter, like get commentary and I'd love to hear what y'all think is like, I see this effort from Dems, even like moderate Dems and even like AOC and stuff about calling not the Republican Party, but the Q Party like, um, and rebranding that and like tying them all as QAnon and showing people. Basically, I think that their strategy is like, look, if you vote Republican, like there's no moderate Republican now. It's only QAnon because they all made this decision. And like I'm seeing people on the left criticize like Nancy Pelosi, like oh this is so corny or this is so stupid.
2: Yeah, because she sent out that press release that referred to Kevin McCarthy as uh, instead of R for Republican from his state, she she used Q, so the Q Party in a in a a press release from the Speaker of the House. Yeah, that is such like a Nancy Pelosi way of clapping back.
4: Yeah, exactly. She takes it real far
2: sometimes.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. So like there. I just see, like, on one end, I'm like, this is brilliant. And then, and then on the other end, I'm like, is this going to be, like, cofefe, like, kind of yeah. stupid meme thing? But So I'm just curious what y'all think. I
4: actually think that this, assuming the, the non-Q faction stands up and it actually responds to this threat of being, like, painted with this broad brush, I actually think that it could be sort of excised from the party and be, like, almost like a blip. But that all comes down to whether the remaining Republicans are going to stand up to it and actually like excise it from the party. But it doesn't really feel like there's enough people who are willing to do that. And the and regardless of regardless of whether or not all all not all Republicans, Mm -hmm. regardless of that, the, the ones who did stormed the fucking Capitol. Like it's like i I don't know really what you can say. It's not just like, oh, we are slightly more conservative. It's not that, so
2: yeah, i mean yeah. well it's it's like the idea that Caitlin talks about. It's like everybody that wants there to be a functioning government and for democracy to work is just has to be a Democrat now, and then the only people left, the only people that the Republican party can really cater to is is those people. I do wonder if part of the calculus is like for either party, like Trump got a lot of votes and Clearly, the GOP thinks that Trump is the leader of the party and Democrats are probably seeing that continuing to connect all those Republicans to Trump might not have as negative of an impact as they hope. So they're trying to make it narrow it even more to Q and like just get him out of the picture. I don't know. I think it could be one of those things that sort of stays is confined to like the small group of, you know, maybe of people that are hyper tuned in. But I don't know how many people those are. And it just, that does trickle down into the mainstream discourse, but it can't, I am scared of it having a reaction.
4: Well, also the way that people get radicalized to QAnon is quite insidious. Like there's, there's this trope that is kind of true. And Marjorie Taylor Greene in some way embodies it about this like wealthier, uh, they don't necessarily have to be wealthy, but white women who get sort of into this, like, they verge on the essential oils world and then they get into like anti-vax and that all starts with like sort of harmless seeming influencers. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of like spirals. And that's how that's a ton of these people who have been been radicalized to it. Marjorie Taylor green stands for that too. She's like a pretty wealthy woman who is, who I think kind of embodies it. She's a mother of several, mm-hmm. like they, like they, it's kind of like this, you assume it's like these like wacko, you know, like crazy militia guys, like, no, they're, they're like the proud boy 3% Oathkeeper crowd. But then you have like the intellectual piece of it. I'm calling it intellectual, but what I really mean is like the thought piece of it, which is the, like this white woman kind of influencer led belief system. And like the tech companies are responsible for making sure that like, it doesn't spiral to that, but it's an algorithm, it's an algorithm. So it's difficult.
3: Yeah, and I think, like, there's an article, and I have to find the source, but basically there's an article that's talking about, like, we focus so much on the radicalization of white men and white supremacist trends on men, um, like, but... There's just all these white women that exactly that, through the yoga and through the you know, essential oils kind of thing, start off anti-vax and then they get more and more radicalized by the algorithms that Facebook and Instagram is serving to keep people on these websites longer.
4: Yeah, it's yeah. really it's it's so much of it comes down to like not even just the politicians, but like big tech, like what what are what policies are they going to have? Are the corporate donors going to still continue to to? it sucks that it, we're basing this off of corporate donors, but like there is a consequence if they stop funding the Republican Party because it's Q, the Q party that will yeah. that's I think what Mitch McConnell is, why Mitch McConnell is willing to denounce the it.
3: Only yeah, like, also, the only reason. Yeah,
4: also, yeah.
2: Sam, I think we have to let you go for the rest of the show, but um, listeners will hear you talk to Amanda Littman tomorrow on Afternoon Tea. This has been a pleasure. To to close out, I mean, so you posed the question, Millie, like, it seems like you were posing the question because you don't feel completely certain, like, or comfortable with that framing. What what makes you itchy about it?
3: Or not comfortable. I think it's more of, like, are we going down this thing of, like, alien, like, is this a good strategy? I just am constantly worried about, like, like Democrats and their strategy. And I just really want them to win minterns <laughs> and like do all this stuff. So I'm just like, you know, is this, is this the best strategy? Cause like, I understand why they're doing it but is this like a deplorable thing where mm-hmm. you're alienating? And part of me is like, I don't give a fuck if you're alienating people. If like, if you're like done with QAnon then like, what the hell are you doing? Or if you don't care about democracy, you yeah. know on one end and on the other end I'm like are we shooting ourselves in the foot or I don't know. So that's just kind of like why I'm posing. It's like, yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I mean, it. I think, I think about that constantly. Like you want, we want to be like, fuck it. And, and really just be free with our point of views and our beliefs. But I think it's like on the, I don't know if the West wing coined it, but it's like, you got to get elected to make any changes. Yeah. We got to get elected. So mm-hmm. I'm constantly thinking of the ways, like uh, it's not fair that Republicans can come back with so many bad faith attacks and that people are so deluded about what Democrats want and what progressives want. But like, those are the facts. We can't change the facts. Um, I mean, Republicans do, but we, we can't. So yeah, I think that I guess the question probably is like, how big is that group of Republicans who are going to be so, who hated Trump, maybe voted against Trump, but are so offended by the democrats calling them the q party now that they become they they don't become open to ideas or people that were somewhat moderate i think it it, i don't know how big that group is but i think that is the question like the size of the group that could potentially be alienated and offended by this
3: yeah but i also feel like those people like q is not moderate no yeah like yeah like if they get you know if more moderate republicans get primaried by a q person that hurts their chances of winning too. So that's just like, it's kind of, you know, cyclical. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll look
2: forward today to that vote for, for Marjorie getting getting kicked off of her committees until the end of, oh, actually I have to introduce you have an interview after this. Stick around after this for a quick interview with Representative Jim Himes. He represents Connecticut's 4th District and he shared some details of the January 6th Capitol attack. Some really chilling details. He said he was one of the last people to make it out of the House chamber. We also talk about expectations for the impeachment trial next week and just what work is like without Trump around.
0: No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I M P O S S I B L E. FOODS.com
2: Hello everybody, it's Amanda and today I am back with Congressman Jim Himes. Representative Himes has represented Connecticut's 4th district since 2009 and he's in his 7th term. He's a member of the House Committee on Financial Services, serves as the ranking member of the NSA and Cybersecurity Subcommittee of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, and he previously served as the chair of the New Democrat Coalition. Thank you so much for being with us.
6: Thanks for having me, Amanda. Are you still snowed in? Well, I'm in Washington, but uh, I'm in Washington with a very, very sore back because I had, you know, three different episodes of snow clearing uh, when we got our sort of 15 inches of snow the other day. Yeah, no, it's nice to be in a place where, uh, you know, snow is a little bit exotic.
2: Yeah, right, right, exactly. So we want to get right into it while we have you, and we would love to focus on impeachment, uh, the second impeachment my first question, I'm really curious. When you voted to impeach Donald Trump in December of 2009, did you think it would be the last time you cast that vote?
6: Well, <laughs> I did. I did. You know, impeachment is supposed to be like one of the, exactly. one of those one in a century kind of events. Of course, when you have a president like Donald Trump, it turns out not to be. Um, well, but so let me answer your question this way. Yeah, I, I, I thought that, that having gone through that once, we wouldn't have to do it again. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I thought to I did worry because, of course, um, the fact that he wasn't convicted in the Senate, he instantly turned Donald Trump turned into total exoneration. And I thought, really, if the lesson he takes away from the first impeachment is total exoneration, which I think is a is a is a verbatim uh, replay of what he said about it, you know, that that's going to empower him. Uh, And so, yeah, I did think it was going to be the last time I had to do it. But I also expected that behavior could very well get get worse.
2: Yeah. More and more lawmakers are starting to open up about their experiences on January 6th. I'm sure you also caught some of uh, your colleague, Representative Ocasio-Cortez's Instagram Live. And what she said in there, which was so powerful to me, I thought, was that as members, um, you know, get some distance and start to share what they went through that day, it's so important to have those accounts out there to sort of counter some claims to that this wasn't that we should just move on and that accountability unity and that we need to move forward. I'm curious, what did you expect would happen on January 6th?
6: Well, like everyone, um, you know, I expected a dull uh, procedural administrative um, event of, of counting the envelopes. I've been through, I guess this was the fourth one I've done in my political career, uh, and the last one was particularly boring. I mean, there were a number of Democrats in the House who raised very brief objections, but they couldn't get a senator to go along with the objections. We knew this was going to be a little bit different because you know Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz had telegraphed their intention to to raise a little hell, but we thought that it would be disposed of pretty pretty quickly if if perhaps not not in quite the sort of boring way it has been in pre in previous uh, in previous certifications.
2: Yeah. What does it what does it feel like to watch your Republican colleagues who were there that day vote against consequences, especially after they experienced the same thing that you did? I mean, you and your Democratic colleagues were probably felt more targeted. How has it been to watch them sort of not pretend that this didn't happen, but be so eager to move forward?
6: Well, um, yeah, that's a that's a really hard question uh, with a lot of facets to it, Mm because You know, as as we all saw, what I was expecting, which was maybe a slightly more protracted procedure, uh, but nonetheless a quiet one. That's not what happened. Uh, and I was one of the last people out of the out of the House of Representatives that day. You know, as I went out, I was sort of accompanied by officers with their weapons drawn and pointed at a door with furniture piled up against it. And uh, uh, so it was shocking. I mean, I remember at the time being absolutely shocked that the Capitol was as vulnerable as it was. I mean, sitting on the Intelligence Committee, as I do, I spend a lot of time in very secure locations. And I've just always assumed, uh, you know, as I've said before, that somebody has a big red button somewhere and you press that red button and boom, everything is closed up and everybody's out of the Capitol. Well, uh, not, not not really. Right. Um, and so, you know, you ask about uh, the Republicans. Um, it's a it's a complicated question because we got to start with the fact that um, that there were a few Republicans, very few, who stood up and did the right thing. Yeah, uh, I, of and, course. you know, I have infinite uh, um gratitude for people like adam kinziger and i never in a million years thought i would say this but liz cheney Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know just one of the many disoriented aspects of this is all this thing you're having warm feelings for the cheney family i mean i know suddenly
2: dick cheney's daughter is the (laughs) conscience of the republican party
6: well one week dick cheney leads a letter of former secretaries of defense you know saying that the military must not get involved and a week later his daughter you know is, is the only republican in the house meaningfully standing up for uh Uh, for our our democracy, but it's really hard, honestly, Amanda. So a couple of things. Um, Number one, I just, I, this refrain keeps echoing through my head, which is that the vast majority of Republicans in the Congress and today the Republicans that elected them when presented with a very clear choice of a peaceful transfer of constitutionally dictated power in a democratic Republic on the one hand, And a brutal and violent coup attempt, and it it wasn't just January 6th, right? It was the call to Georgia. It was the big lie. Faced with that choice, the majority of my Republican colleagues chose power over democracy. And, you know, I've irritated my fellow Democrats for, for years now because I really believe profoundly in bipartisanship. And I really believe in reaching out to the other side of the aisle under almost all circumstances. But that's okay when we have policy disagreements. I mean, you know, if you believe that tax cuts should go to the wealthy, I I completely disagree with you. But look, let's listen. Let's 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 hear each other out. But now you're now you're contemplating compromising with people who said no to our democratic Constitutional republic. And that's a whole other thing. So I think, um, <coughs> pardon me, I think AOC is right. I mean, there needs to be accountability. And a reckoning. And I think we're going to see a little bit of that reckoning in how the Republican Party responds to Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's happening in real time right now. Mm -hmm. And if the Republican Party doesn't choose, and I know this is hard. I know this is hard because I've seen the polling of where Republicans are today. And they are not with a constitutional democracy. They are with Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. You know, if they don't choose the path of the basic rules of our democratic republic, it's going to be really hard to work with them.
2: Yeah. What are your expectations for the trial next week? Yesterday, your colleagues, the impeachment managers, released their eighty-page brief, which outlined a lot of what you just said. It was the months leading up. It was the call with Secretary of State, the Secretary of State of Georgia. Um, it was the clear and systematic attempt over a long period of time to to so doubt that ultimately did incite this in addition to of course the direct incitement on the day what are your expectations for the trial next week what do you hope to see especially when a conviction doesn't seem super likely but we need to be holding the people responsible accountable and making a big show of doing so
6: yeah, so I, I, I think my expectations are, are pretty much rock solid for what's going to happen. Um, okay. The Democratic managers led by Jamie Raskin, who I swear to God is an angel on this planet um, in every uh, sense of that word, intellect, grace, dignity, integrity, um, they're going to present a very compelling case. And I know that because I was here. I, I, you know, I, I could easily be a witness mm-hmm. if, if, they, if they wanted right. to call witnesses. Um, And the other side is going to present two specious arguments. They're going to say, uh, because they said it in their brief, that the president, first of all, can't be impeached because he's no longer the president. The implication of that being, of course, that uh, any president in the final weeks of his or her term could do whatever they want with no accountability. Because remember, right now, and I don't know if this is good or bad, it's the opinion of a lot of very smart lawyers. The theory is that the president, when he's president, can't be prosecuted. Right. Um, we dealt with that in the first impeachment. And now the theory is that, oh, and by the way, for the last, you <laughs> pick your number, a month or two, he can't be impeached either. Think about that. If that theory is correct, we have one person, it happens to be the most powerful person amongst us, who in a period of two months can commit the most heinous acts and there's no mechanism for accountability. So that's just bogus, right? The other argument they're going to make is that, oh, he was just exercising his First Amendment rights. <laughs> right? Now, you know, look, I'm not a lawyer, but, uh, but uh, you know, like so many people out there in the street, I understand that our First yeah. Amendment uh, uh, does not guarantee us the right to incite, to urge violence, to as, the, as we always say, the cry, you know, fire in a crowded theater. So they're going to put forward two very specious and obviously specious arguments, and then the Senate is going to acquit the president. You know, there's just... Maybe I'm getting cynical in my old age, but the notion that there are going to be six, I guess it's 17 Republicans who are going to convict the president to me seems uh, like not where that party is right now.
2: Yeah, it's just hard to imagine what could come out between now and then.
6: No, it's not. It's not. It's actually not hard to, Amanda. It's not hard to imagine. The answer to your question is nothing. Exactly. Um, Where the Republican Party is today, there is nothing that can come out. Look, I mean, you know, uh, the uh, famous... uh, you know, uh, grabbing episode Mm -hmm. immediately before that. Well, that didn't make a difference. So the answer to your question is there's nothing that can come out between now and then that will cause a Lindsey Graham uh, or a Marco Rubio to set aside their ambition and their abject terror at their own base to convict this president.
2: Yeah. I, and the Trump lawyers legal brief because you were mentioning that now suddenly he's immune from prosecution. They suggested that if if they go after if they try to prosecute Donald Trump, they're putting him into they're basically making him a second class citizen. They're making the, the former president if they get to be in a special category. They really, really stretched it. Um, I'm also curious what's work like with Trump gone. The nation is obviously in crisis in so many ways. And of course, there's still so much urgency and anxiety. But the former president was such an overwhelming presence for four years. How has the shift been? Is it perceptible or is it sort of hard to notice because of the, the temperature is, and the tension is still pretty high?
6: It, it's not hard to notice. Um, you know, let me just look inside my own head and heart right now. Um, you know, I'm one of those grin and bear it types, you know, keep calm and carry on. Um, so I didn't appreciate the extent to which a constant flow of vitriol and bile and hatred and insanity out of the white house, um, was really damaging to my sense of optimism, to my belief that Americans are fundamentally good people. Yeah. Um, th- so I, 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 I told somebody on inauguration day, I fe- felt on inauguration day, like I lost 15 pounds in 20 minutes. Um, and you know, Again, as a rationalist, um, one of the really challenging things about the Obama administration, sorry, the, the Trump administration, there were challenging things about Obama yeah. too, but the, the, the challenging thing about the Trump administration was um, I represent a very diverse community mm-hmm. um, and um, across the, you name the spectrum, whether it's you know, affluence or color or whatever it is, I had to absorb an immense amount of anxiety. I had to listen to people mm-hmm oftentimes it was women. I think women felt a particular anxiety in the face of Donald Trump who were just terrified for four years. And I'm not trained to sort of be, you know, the deep uh, empath. I'm not trained in how to sort of. uh, Now, by the way, I I, I sort of learned I got a battlefield promotion on the issue, but um, it is just so wonderful to sort of get back to A world where we're talking about actually fixing COVID, about restarting the economy and not managing this marshmallow amorphous like panic that we were all dealing with. So that's all wonderful. But of course, you know, just as we did in 09, we've inherited um, an absolute mess that requires laser like focus and and is going to require a lot of work to fix.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You were elected the same year President Obama was. Right. So you came in with that first financial crisis. That was the start of your congressional career.
6: Yeah, quite, book, quite a bookend, right? So in '09, yeah. when I was when I was sworn in, that quarter the economy contracted by 10 percent. People were losing their homes. Thank you, George W. Bush. And now, mm-hmm. you know, we're losing 4,000 Americans uh, a day. Thank you, Donald Trump. It sort of feels like uh, you know, my <laughs> I've gotten to be a firefighter, you know, coming yeah. in to fix the disasters that were that were that uh, the new Democratic president inherited.
2: Yeah, yeah. Shifting to the coronavirus. So you you represent Connecticut's fourth district, which, as you mentioned, is super, super diverse and has a proximity to the to New York City, where I I bet you're getting. You're only as protected as we are here in the city. There's so much in and out in the areas you represent. You wrote on Twitter the other day that while counties are handling distribution really, really smoothly and doing a great job. The state simply needs to double or triple the volume of vaccines it's getting. What is your sense from the first few weeks of this administration and your exposure to how it was going in the last that the fundamental issue with vaccine distribution has been?
6: Yeah, yeah. So I had the opportunity to visit, I guess, three different um, vaccination sites. And, and uh, you know, I can't speak for the rest of the country, but I was really impressed by the extent to which small towns like Weston, Weston, um, uh, big operations like the Veterans Administration Hospital in West uh, in West Haven, medium-sized towns like Fairfield. Oh my God, they've gone to work in the most spectacular fashion. You know, they've mobilized their 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 public health uh, departments of health. De- doesn't politics don't matter? Parties parties don't matter, and they're out there doing the right thing. And the good news about that is that they've got the capacity to vaccinate a lot more people. Um, the burden is now on the federal government and you know our our COVID czar Jeff Zients and others to make sure. Uh, that we're getting enough vaccine, because every site that I visited could have been doing a lot more vaccinations. And you know why that's so important, because honestly, apart from sort of, you know, wearing these masks and and doing the right things, which the country has been, um, I would give the Country sort of a B minus on that front. Um, the, vaccination's getting into ultimately seventy percent of Americans. That's that's how we fix this. So nothing could be more important. And it's a it's a very weird feeling right now, right? Because you mm-hmm. you do see that light at the end of the tunnel, right? The number of vaccines is increasing. It's going relatively smoothly, at least where I live. Um, but you know we're still experiencing 4,000 fatalities a day. So I mean, talk about schizophrenia.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah, I'm so glad you spoke to to how it's actually going well because as much as it's disappointing that the last administration totally bungled this effort, the way that Americans have rallied and just risen to the occasion and done the most with what they have is really spectacular and needs to be lauded more
6: and And it's super hard, right? I mean, it's it's hard logistically. Um, You know, you've got something that needs to be kept at very low temperatures. It has a shelf life. You know, it's, it's a scary thing for people. Needles are scary. Hospitals are scary. There's people out there, sadly, who are, you know, have irrational beliefs about vaccines. That's hard. By the way, the ethics and the philosophy of this are hard. Yeah. um you know who goes first who goes first that is not a self-evident question and it and it really as people think about that you both sort of get to look at people's moral reasoning you also sadly i think see some examples of people really being selfless and people being really selfish but mm-hmm. but it's hard right you know we're all running around saying well 75 years old 75 years old that's that's the place to start yes that is the place to start but be mindful of the fact that um, the African-American population's average uh, age of fatality from COVID is much lower than it is for white Americans. So where you set that 75 year old breakpoint actually has implications with respect to, uh, you know, oh, wow. some disenfranchised mm-hmm. and, and, and vulnerable communities.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you're going to target it to the most vulnerable communities, age isn't the only thing that adds age and pre-existing conditions aren't sadly the only thing that adds to vulnerability. Our last question is wanted to speak to you briefly about uh, movement on relief. We're currently in a bit of a holding pattern with the next stage, but it looks like it's picking up Senate Democrats yesterday voted to kickstart the budget reconciliation process. Our nation is obviously an unprecedented crisis. I'm talking about this for 20 minutes. But what do you say to the people who say that providing relief to Americans through this path, through doing it with Democrats alone, belies the unity message that we should be seeing in Congress?
6: Well, um, first of all, I object to the word unity. Um, Someday if we're invaded by a foreign country, that will be the moment where I'm looking for unity. Um, what we need right now is um, is compromise and thoughtfulness with people who have um, uh, the best interests at heart um, and who have good ideas. Um, and quite frankly, and you know, I'm I'm sitting on 12 years of really working hard towards bipartisanship. Um, the Republicans don't have a leg to stand on right now. Um, they did one thing with no Democratic help in the last go round, which was massive, which is uh, in scale, roughly what we're talking about right now. And that, of course, was Donald Trump's tax reform, which handed 80 percent of its benefits, more than 80 percent of its benefits to the top 1 percent into corporations. They they did that. That's what they do. They didn't get any. They didn't they didn't get any help from Democrats on that because that's not where our values are. Well, guess what? Now it's our turn. And what we're doing is not handing 80 percent of a massive tax cut in a deficit exploding uh, initiative, um, what we're doing is we're actually saving people's lives and restarting this economy. So, you know, I think President Biden, when he Mm -hmm. spoke to us this morning, said exactly the right thing, which is, of course, we're always going to reach out. We're always going to listen to it. Look, if you think seventy five thousand dollars is not the right income breakpoint for the sixteen hundred dollars, you know, tell us why. Tell us why. We're always going to listen. But you know what we're not going to do? We're not, when 4,000 Americans are dying every single day, are we going to spend weeks on some pointless, you know, unfact based debate that is, gonna, that is not going to help the American people?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you clarified that because it does feel like the sort of post-election bid for unity. They're kind of like applying that in bad faith to every little thing. But you're right, 4,000 people are dying a day. We need to act quickly. Thank you so, so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, we're so glad that you are safe. And I hope you and your, safe, your staff are recovering mentally, emotionally from the events of last week. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches sub
5: podcast. Thanks very much betches sup podcast is produced by amanda duberman jorge morales pico and sean kilby social media by amanda duberman artwork
4: by britney levine our podcast director is sean kilby be sure to follow us at betches underscore sup on instagram twitter and tiktok and send your emails to suppod at betches.com
1: betches